0: This week on A Lively Experiment, Governor McKee releases his first television ad with a little help from his mother. And we continue to sift through this year's General Assembly session. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Linda Katz, co-founder and policy director for the Economic Progress Institute, WPRI Target 12 investigative reporter, Steph Machado, and former state representative, Dan Riley. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. While facing low approval ratings and challengers nipping at his heels, Governor McKee, McKee released his first television commercial this week, touting his accomplishments since taking over last year for Gina Raimondo this while Nellie Gorbea held her first campaign event in a long time criticizing the governor for not working harder to repeal the ban on abortion coverage for state employees and Medicaid recipients Dan we'll get to the Republicans shortly but we were talking on lively last week about how nobody seems to be doing campaign events they apparently got the memo that there's only eight weeks till primary day
1: that's right. It's uh, been a very sleepy uh, election season in both the governor's race and the, in the congressional primary race as well in the second congressional district. For the governor, I think his challenge is really to overcome not so much high negative ratings, but just the the meh factor that a lot of voters have. They don't really have an opinion of him, which it can be a blessing and a curse for an incumbent. I think in his case, it, it's incumbent upon him to really seize the void that's been provided by his other candidates for reasons, by his opponents for reasons I can't quite figure out, and really define himself in front of the electorate that's never really, they've never voted for him for governor, uh, and they really need to get to know him better. But of course, we start early voting in four weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, this election is going to wrap up Fairly quickly in that uh, early voting and absentee ballot applications will start being mailed out in four weeks' time. And we know based on the last election cycle, especially on the Democratic side, there's an energized block of voters who are going to get out their vote early. And right now, I don't think they have any information to base their vote on. The Meh factor. That's M-E-H. Just want to make sure that that's not some insider political thing. It's Meh. That's the. There's really no opinion about anything, and that can be good and that can be bad because he has an opening to define himself. But he is the incumbent, and he really should be a little further along. Uh, in, in that regard uh, by this point in the
0: election. The television stations, of course, are happy to have the commercial revenue, but I would like to see a little bit more Helena folks is here, Nelly Gorbea, who came out this week. More events, because it's the summer. Why wouldn't we cover those, right?
2: Right, and there really wasn't a lot going on before this week. Um, it was pretty sleepy, as the rep said, um, and they finally sort of started coming out and sniping at each other this week, which you have to do at this point in the race, because early voting is starting Um, at the end of August not you know it's not like September 13th is the only day that folks will be voting Um, and yeah we saw Nellie have an event Um, the governor put out his first TV ad which was good timing for him because before that the only ad that had been airing for him was from the Rhode Island Building Trades Council Mike Sabatoni who got arrested for a DUI over the weekend Um, so it was good timing for the McKee campaign to put out their own ad on TV um, and we saw them criticizing each other a lot over the last few days um, as the campaign heats up.
0: What are you looking for as you w- look at the candidates? What are the issues that you would like to hear from them?
3: Um, you know, I think the people that we work with and for want to hear about um, housing. I would say also how they're going to manage government. I mean, I think that's a big issue in terms of um, what is their cabinet going to look like? I would really like to see the candidates talk about um, how they're going to run, uh, run their offices and run government. Um, because in my long years of doing this work, you know, the, the, um, the department heads are as critical, I think, as, as the governor um, to be working as a team to try to move the people's issues forward. So, for example, now having um, a secretary of housing that we, who's going to report directly to the governor is, is really important. It's one of the, Rhode Island has been so behind the eight ball in terms of housing investments, and now, luckily, there's been um, much more attention and many more investments um, in this year's budget. But I think the lack of having a um, dedicated housing secretary has really been part of the reason that Rhode Island has, um, has not moved that issue forward. So that's what it, I'd like to hear about. It's been kind of hodgepodge.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an example of a great low-hanging fruit issue where there's broad support in the legislature, maybe not on specific policy items, Mm -hmm. but as an issue of great concern. We certainly know that the Speaker is very concerned about housing, and yet we've really heard very little from the candidates in terms of concrete policy ideas, taking those ideas, running with public events, getting on the air and talking about those things. We've seen um, the folks' campaign really talk about abortion a lot. Nellie Gourbet has been out there with a few other messages, but nothing really has, has shown up as that single purpose, that reason why she's running, those policy ideas that are really pushing her, except for the tax increase proposal, <laughs> which is bold, but not necessarily the best thing you want to run with, especially when you haven't been talking about other issues. I don't th- see them talking about the issues that really resonate with moderate voters, progressive voters, conservative voters even, and certainly has support in the assembly. And that's what the next governor or the current governor if he's re-elected or, or Ashley Kalis if she's elected are going to have to deal with things that they can actually get done.
2: When it comes to the housing issue though we do need to if, if voters are going to be able to distinguish between the candidates they do need to have more specific policies mm-hmm. because of course they all agree we don't have enough housing right. at all income levels mm-hmm. and so they really do need to come out with those policy papers and those specifics about how they would solve the housing crisis so voters can decide uh, which candidate you know makes the most sense
3: for them, right? And it's it's a it's a complicated issue to talk about, right? And um, it's been a complicated issue for the General Assembly to deal with because it's not just investing monies. There's a lot more behind that, right? But they could be doing a better job of saying, um, you know, not just sort of the the uh, top level messaging, but. Getting more into the nitty gritty, and maybe some of that is on their websites that I just haven't looked at.
0: Linda, what does that look like? Because we've talked about affordable housing a lot, and mm-hmm. I'm so glad to have you on. Welcome. I know this is your first time with us. Um, affordable housing—you know, $250 million. Some people say that's not enough. Is that construction, rental subsidies? Is it all of the above? How do you? I mean, affordable housing is a pretty big umbrella.
3: Right. So the answer to that is yes. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you look at the details of how the, the $250 million that was, I want to say one thing first, which is that um, there's a significant amount of the, um, the ARPA, the Federal Relief Monies, that are going towards affordable housing writ large, um, but only half of that is really appropriated in the 2023 budget. And while the General Assembly laid out how it wants that $1.1 billion to be spent, it's really, all they can do, as you all know, is appropriate money for the current budget. So there's a about half of that is in the current budget. And then the rest of it is appropriated for future fiscal years. But obviously the General Assembly and the governor are going to have to put that money in. So it lays out sort of a plan. But what housing advocates have really worked hard to do is ensure that there's investments across the spectrum of what needs to happen. So that means ending homelessness by helping to build, um, you know, by, by having shelters available for, available for people in the short term, but then finding permanent housing for those folks, some of whom need supports to be able to live safely at, and, um, in their residences. We used to have those investments um, where we had supportive housing. The money went away. The people went back on the street. Mm-hmm. So it, it ranges from dealing with the homelessness issue, supportive housing, to um, affordable housing for people who, you know, there are a lot of people who don't earn a whole lot of money in this economy. If you, you earn $15 an hour, you need some help paying for your rent. Um, then there's the w- sort of workforce housing, which may be slightly higher income folks. And then there's the issue of just building, we, everybody acknowledges that we need more, um, uh, more housing across the board. So some of that then is dealing with where does that, where does housing get built? And do we allow multi-residences in areas that are now zoned for single family? And how do you deal with NIMBY, right? So it, it is very complicated. And there's, I would say that a good thing this year that's happened is that there's been a lot more discussion to get into that nitty-gritty and deal with all of those issues. We
0: finally have the money to execute because they were talking about it when you were in right. the legislature, yes. but now we have it. So let's make sure we execute it properly.
1: Right. The problem is we're going to get through that money pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, housing is expensive, and the more money, even if it's government money that goes into the housing market, doesn't necessarily, I mean, depending on how it's deployed, it doesn't at the end of the day help the affordability problem for a lot of people because it's just more money coming in. It's a basic supply and demand issue. So we have to. As much as we have to fix programs and, and bring back old programs we had and deal with supportive housing, I completely agree, we also have to talk about supply. We have to talk mm-hmm. about bringing more out. That's the only way you're going to bring downward pressure on on pricing uh, for, for housing in Rhode Island.
0: Going back to the governor's
1: okay. race, I thought the ad,
0: if you haven't seen it, he's got his 94-year-old mother, but he's, he's mixing in policy and a little bit of humor. I thought it almost... And I think it's good for the governor because it it personalizes him. It reminded me of when Gina Raimondo was in her first election. She had her kids and they're riding the bikes. Remember (laughs) she's saying, hi, neighbor? And that kind of personalized her. So I thought that was a good move by the governor to at least... Let's make us laugh a little bit, right? Yeah, and
2: he sort of leaned into his folksy persona. Um, He's the guy you want to have a beer with. That's the saying goes um, when you're running for office. You want people to like you. It's not just about your policies. You also do want them to think you're a person that they respect and that they might want to spend time with for example and that and that's similar that's why you see for when Governor Raimondo did that with her kids, it, it, it made her a human. She's a mom. She's a person. And so that's always a good strategy. And I, I thought the ad was pretty well made.
0: I always wondered if Cece was saying, Mom, we never ride bikes. Why are we <laughs> doing this? And what, what are those cameras doing I think, to- here? This isn't Tommy, my bike. Tommy's <laughs> in the garden or something. Yeah, Tommy's got yeah. the little hat on. Um, Ashley Kalis, before we finish yeah. on, the, uh, on the governors, uh, she doesn't have, I mean, she has nominal uh, opposition, but basically it's, it's, it's a clear sale to November. We were remarking last week how she's out there doing the retail politics and she's everywhere on social media. So whether how deep her policies or whatever, at least she's doing the right thing from a politicking standpoint.
1: Yes. Look, it's a small state and you have to do the work. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, you have to get out there. Certainly she's a new candidate so she has to boost that name recognition. But what she recognizes is that Uh, She doesn't have a real primary fight. This is a race to November for her before then with early voting and absentee voting. So it's important, especially in summertime where we're all out and doing things around the state, that she get out there and and meet people. And she's building quite a get-out-the-vote operation in doing so. And that's what Gina Raimondo did in 2018 that got her over the finish line. So – I think Ashley Kalis is doing all the right things right now. She doesn't have to have the media uh, presence that um, the Democrats are going to have to just because of the way the calendar is set up. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be a cost of living election. Uh, I think people are going to be concerned about how government is working. I think Governor McKee, had that ad was great for him, and I think that was good for him in the primary. But he is going to have to get over, if he does get through the primary and into the general, he's going to have to get over that lack of excitement that he builds up Uh, because people are concerned. And as much as he does come across as folksy and a nice guy, and and he is, um, people are going to be looking for, I think, a little more change this election. And so there's going to have to be a little more energy brought to the table.
3: You know, I was just going to add that um, I've been involved with a number of different organizations that are doing the gubernatorial forums, which I think is another way of getting information out to the people. And so there was one that the Interfaith Coalition hosted, the Women's Fund is hosting one, the Senior Agenda is hosting one on, on August 3rd to focus on issues affecting seniors. And so I think the more people that we that can get engaged in those um, or attend those forums, or, or the more we can give maybe some visibility in the news world about those forums that are taking place. That could be another way. It's not the way for the candidates to get their message out, but it's a good way for people to understand the difference among the candidates. So you did the RIPAC forum. Yeah, I right. I mean, it was the JCC right. forum. I think that was that the That was the interfaith. We were, right. right. Yeah. But I haven't heard a lot since then. It's
2: funny. There's a lot of forums happening, especially in the mayor's race, which I cover so closely but they're not announced. Yeah. They're not advised. So it's almost point. like they so don't, want, yeah, I don't, they don't want the press to come because they want it to be this intimate setting where just the people who attend are watching it. But I don't think that's doing them any favors because the more people that can hear your message, the better. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm not going to go cover every single forum because sometimes they're doing three a week, but I will cover some of them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I hear about them after the fact or I hear about them at the last minute. So it would be good for there to be a little bit more, if someone's doing a forum to put it out there a little bit more, yeah. to get more people watching. Well, what and you good would point. think
0: with the technology now, and we'd all put it on, stream it. Yeah, Figure yep. out a way to stream it and tape it and put it up. Let's briefly talk about the, the Providence Mayor's, Mayor's yeah. race. It's almost kind of like the polite race. I know the Globe had this thing about Gonzalo Cuervo and w- when did he graduate and all that. And Nerville of Fortune immediately said, I had
2: nothing to do with that and I love Gonzalo. Yes, she said she called him to apologize it was, and she
0: didn't. She, it, it, it's almost like she had planted it and I didn't want to. It's like, wow. It's yeah, the, the, the anymore,
2: For those who hadn't seen the article, the Globe reporter had interviewed a friend of Nerville of Fortune who um commented on the story and so that's why she called uh gonzalo cuervo to apologize but yeah the two of them uh have not criticized each other at all i think the focus is on brett smiley who's the perceived front runner in the race we haven't had any public polling um in the mayor's race let's
0: get on that wpri come on
2: (laughs) above my pay grade jim (laughs) But, um, you know, the Smiley campaign has polled. They have not released the results of their internal polls. So I, I'm reticent to declare someone the frontrunner, of course. But I do think that we are going to see the candidates distinguishing themselves from each other even more. And particularly, I think, LaFortune and Cuervo distinguishing themselves from Smiley.
0: Regardless of who gets elected, what do you see as, as the biggest couple of challenges for the, the mayor of Providence? among the many.
3: Yeah, well, you know, clearly the pension issue, um, just for the fiscal stability of, of the city. You know, I think that some initiatives that have been started um, uh, around reparations, um, the city has also done a, um, a pilot program for guaranteed minimum income. Uh, so hopefully that, uh, that will continue. To me, it's like sort of a no-brainer. Yes, if you give people money, it really helps, and people can make their own choices. Um about how best to spend their money, but it, it's it's important to try to help push issues forward in terms of economic security for folks. So I think the city, um, there's some some of those things that have been started that hopefully will will be continuing. You, and housing, of course, in the city of Providence. You get the
0: feeling that um, regardless of what, I don't see anybody saying, well, I would immediately overturn this thing that Mayor Olorza did. I mean, they've kind of nibbled around the edges, you know, the bike lanes and, and stuff like that. But I don't see a huge sea change no matter who gets in.
1: Well, right, but I think that's partly a reflection of the Lorza administration. I don't think there's been this defining issue that's really, you know, captivated the city. This is what Mayor Lorza has stood for or done. Um, I think his administration would probably tell you that they've tried to be more technocrats about things and do things, that, you know, the little things that people may not notice but are important, the back office part of government and i think there's a lot of evidence to suggest they haven't been that great at that either and that is brett smiley's uh, opening in the race and that even though he has a connection to the administration i think he's done a pretty good job of charting that path of i'm the technocrat i'm you know this isn't about the politics that you turn on the tv your tv and see every day this is about getting down to the nitty-gritty of running a city and i think people understand that quality of life's important the condition of the city and how it looks is important to them so i think a lot of the the campaigning is going to be centered around cleaning graffiti plowing the streets, uh, crime, things like that, because that's what people are concerned about.
2: I think the question is more, not so much if they're going to overturn some of the things that he's done, but whether they are going to follow through on his unfinished priorities, Mm -hmm. because uh, you mentioned the reparations, issue. Um, We're expecting a report to come out next week on recommendations on how to spend that ten million dollar reparations money but it Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like that money's gonna go out the door before the Alorza administration ends. There's the guaranteed income pilot program. There's of course the pension bond which even though it passed probably or may not be borrowed during the Alorza administration so the next mayor will have to decide whether to borrow that money or make some other uh, plan for the pension. So th- there's the Kennedy Plaza redesign. So there's a bunch of things mm-hmm. that are Alorza is working on, but is not going to finish before he so so do leaves you office. Or so do they do continue? Just do they it? continue or do they put it on a shelf?
0: Okay. Um, the General Assembly, we're still trying. When I covered the General Assembly, we'd be there until 5 or 6 in the morning. It would take us a month to figure out the 400 bills that they passed. Now, that's changed a little bit, but the dust is still settling. I know you're up there a lot. Actually, you and Dan were up there. <laughs> Dan, Dan, you've left the General <laughs> Assembly behind, and Linda's still there going, <laughs> going on the issues. God God bless. Um, <laughs> So as you look at this session, I know the the sexy stuff, were they going to do the gas tax or, or not, but what are the things that, give me one thing that you like or one thing that you thought they could have done that you didn't like.
3: Hmm. Um, well, I think certainly up there in terms of liking is housing. Um, I, I've i done a lot of, these are sort of the smaller things that don't really get a lot of headlines. Um, EPI, along with the Workforce Alliance, has done a lot of work to try to get more funds into the 28 programs around the state that provide Basic skills training for Rhode Islanders. You know, we have thousands of Rhode Islanders who don't speak English well, thousands who don't have a high school diploma, and this network of adult education providers is the place that people go to get those basic skills. And most of them are then connected with employers, so people get hired right from doing that training. And there's also a significant portion of people who go to those programs. For um, who are already working and want to enhance their skills. So it's a critical part of our workforce development system. Real jobs gets a lot of attention, and these providers are part of that continuum of of workforce development. So as small as this will sound, um, we were able to get uh, $2 million in the ARPA funds for adult education with another $3 million promised down the road and a what's a, a 25% increase in general revenue investments, which is really only $540,000. So that was, um, you know, th- that's an area where, again, doesn't get much attention, but really important um, to get through. In terms of not, I mean, some of the, certainly the, um, the one-time child tax credit is really helpful for folks. Um, it would be good for the state to look at increasing the earned income tax credit um, on a permanent basis, as well as implementing a child tax credit in the state, again, to put more money into the pockets of people who are working hard but really don't net enough income to make ends meet.
0: It's almost easier in the years when you have no money because you can say no to everybody. Mm-hmm. Joe, Secarchi said that he had like ten times the number, you know, $10 billion request for the $1 billion. I mm-hmm. know you would have killed him. Maybe you have a little more money when you were <laughs> uh, uh, in the legislature.
1: <laughs> but what did you think overall about the budget this year? I, uh, I mean... I think the budget was okay. I, I think with the influx of one-time funds, you have to be very, very careful. We have a very poor track record of dealing with them in this state. Uh, we have a lot of legacy. Investment
0: rather than spending. Right.
1: right. And granted, I mean, not, not to say that they all come with no strings attached and you can spend it on whatever you want. That's an important caveat. But I think it's important to to remember we have a lot of legacy costs. We have a lot of infrastructure costs, hard infrastructure, things that don't get a lot of attention, but capital mm-hmm building projects that state agencies need. These are things that in any other year they get kicked by the wayside because we don't have the money. This is an opportunity to actually move ahead very quickly, very aggressively on a lot of those things that won't actually represent legacy uh, costs to the state or to to the taxpayers and perhaps even savings in some instances. So I would have liked to have seen more of that. I think given the opportunity, I don't want to say it was a missed opportunity, but it wasn't a very exciting budget given the opportunities they had uh, to move on, on, on some of those areas with all that money.
2: What do you think stuff? Well, I think it's all on how it's executed, right? I mean, you can tout we put millions of dollars into housing, for example, but it's all about how it's executed. It takes years. Even even a well-executed housing plan takes years to build a mm-hmm. building. So we'll be looking to see how the money is spent, not just that it was appropriated.
3: Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to add, um, you know, on the issue of sort of one-time investments versus, you know, things that are going to be invested that are going to impact the budget for the long term, Um the, the care economy people who both child care providers people who provide care for people with developmental disabilities with seniors um, and people with physical disabilities one of the successes this year from the advocacy community was to um, get a commitment to a $15 minimum wage for the for people in that uh, sector and uh, at least for caring for people with um, se- caring for seniors and people with disabilities and I, a very important piece that passed this year was uh, directing the Office of Health Insurance Commissioner to have a study done to look at where are we at in terms of our investments for health and human services programs, and what does the state need to invest in order to support that important work? You know, th- we have a very we have an aging population. We have people with disabilities. Looking from a um, really a, a research-based perspective of what are the needs, who are the people providing those services, it's a huge workforce sector as well. Just quickly, right? how
0: much do you think that the the $15 minimum wage, but it seems to me for retention, yep. that would help, but that's, that's only one piece of the puzzle. There's so many people who are burning out and just want to get out altogether. You could pay them $20 an hour and they'd be like, I'm done. Right? You know,
3: Although there are people who continue to do this work, which amazes me. I mean, I've. Um, Despite the conditions and the low pay. Yeah, I mean, and- certainly the COVID really ramped up issues in terms of longevity, right, and being and burned out. But people love this. There are people who love this work. They're just not adequately compensated for it. So I think this study that um, OHIC is going to do is going to level set, you know, to say what are the needs if we really want to have, if we. What do we need to support people to be living at home, um, taking care of our kids who have behavioral health issues, and what do we need to invest? And look at that over the long term, because what we've done, and you know this, every year people come in, I need money, you know, the sector's burning. Let's try to take a more rational approach and really have a plan, same way that the housing hopefully now is going to have a plan.
0: Okay. Let's do uh, outrages and or kudos. Mr. Riley, what do you have?
1: You know, outrage probably isn't the right word, but uh, President Biden. Can you come up with a in- nah
0: category? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nah. The,
1: the trip that President Biden took to Somerset, as much as having the president come to town is an honor, and it always is, regardless of who the president is. I can't quite figure out why he took the trip to Somerset. Uh, it's a one one event trip. Flies the seven fifty seven from D.C. to Providence, motorcades to Somerset to talk about climate change for eighteen minutes, motorcades back to the airport and flies off doesn't do a local stop. I thought the speech was short on specifics and really giving anyone a reason to tune in. I thought the backdrop could have used some work. And it was a a very expensive trip, heavy on carbon usage or uh, generation for a speech about climate change.
0: Not to mention that Steph Machado had to spend many hours in the hot sun covering the president.
2: <laughs> that my, was part of the there's outrage. That's my outrage right there. Yeah. It was very, very hot. It was appropriate <laughs> yeah. that, he, that he was talking about climate change on such an incredibly extreme weather day. But we did have to stay outside for many hours in the sun. Uh, waiting for him to get there after we had been swept by the Secret Service. So it wasn't pleasant. But kudos to my colleagues who did a great job covering it.
0: Do you have anything else that you want to outreach? That's it. That's my or that? <laughs> well, it, it is tough. And you realize, I mean, it is. I agree with you, regardless of who the president is, it's kind of a big deal and you yeah. see the seal and everything else. But it makes you realize what it takes to move the president. Mm. And we were it's talking a lot. about that. It was, that. Fast, it was and, fascinating to watch. And all the logistics. And, and as you had said, they... They could have maybe done a little bit better job here. Rhode Island, they're not even thinking about it. They are on to Ohio. You think of all the advanced planning that it takes and all of the security and all yeah. of that. So. But it must have been pretty cool, would not it?
2: It was really cool. It was really fun. I'm, I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad there were at least porta-potties there for
0: us. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's it. And whoever was... Can you imagine if the guy didn't plan? I was like,
3: like,
2: do like... I drink this coffee? I'm not sure if there will be bathrooms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: Linda, you get the last minute. Do you have an outrage or a kudos?
3: Well, I'll stay with the, with the climate change theme. To me, the outrage is that Congress cannot move forward, climate change legislation. And that's, it's not a Democratic or Republican issue because I blame both, you know? Where is the courage of people to step up outside of their party, um, within their party, to do the right thing? And it, it scares the hell out of me that, you know, look at what we're dealing with. Um, let's but roof. you wonder,
0: it's, it's an older demographic and you think, look, I think about my kids and I think about what, where they're going to be in mm-hmm. 40, 50 years. I won't be here, but the people are making the decisions now. It's like, look, I'd rather have lower gas prices, and we can deal with that down the line when I'm not around. I mean, do you get
3: any sense of that? or? I just, it, it just, I guess, shocks me that that's how people think. You know, and I guess that's what I think about for government, you know, the, the issue of Rhode Island dealing with planning now for the long term um, and being thoughtful about it. I, you know, I realize it's politics, I, but, you know, I, I really hope for a change where people can do the right thing.
0: All right. Folks, that is all the time we have. We appreciate you joining us. Dan, great to see you. And Linda, welcome. We hope to have you back. Thanks. And uh, Steph, glad you recovered just in time to get here for us. <laughs> all right. If you see Steph over the weekend, make sure you get her Dell's lemonade. <laughs> get her rehydrated. Uh, folks, uh, we hope you have a great week. Come back here next week as The Lively Experiment continues.